All right, once you've greeted a few people, you can find your seat. So glad and honored to have you all here. Thank you so much for coming. We're looking forward to see what God has in his word. We're in a brand new series entitled Soulology, and uh, this is where we are diving deep into the truths behind what make us tick. And so we're going a little bit deeper in this series, and we're looking at a passage of scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by the man by the name of Solomon. Solomon wrote a few books in the Old Testament, and so he wrote Proverbs, he wrote Ecclesiastes, and he wrote Song of Solomon. And so we're studying this, and we're looking at this man's life, and we're asking some deep questions about our soul. And as we dive in this morning, I want to go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to bless his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for those that have given up of their time to come and gather here. I pray that we would, first of all, have hearts that are ready to hear from you. I pray that as our hearts are full with the worship and the praise that we've lifted to you, that you can speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you work in this room? Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And Father, we ask that you would do a great work in this community, in this city, through our church. I pray that we would be what you called us to be, and that is salt and light in our community. And Father, we pray for your anointing on the warriors. We just pray that they would beat the calves. And so, Father, we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. I only made half the audience mad, so it's a great way to start the day. Take your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter number two. If you don't have it, it'll be up on the screens. Ecclesiastes chapter number two. As we talk about this topic of soulology, as we dive into it, it uh, just kind of brings to mind so many thoughts, especially one where I was in college. And I'm not a big roller coaster guy. Do I have some people you just love? roller coasters. Is that you in here? I knew there were some crazy people here. I just knew it that you kind of were. And so I'm not a big roller coaster person, but I give in to peer pressure. That does happen. And so I'm one of those that if we're going to go as a group, we're going to go to uh, see or ride a roller coaster, I'll kind of go along with it. Now I'll try to get out of going on the roller coaster. I'm the type that'll try to hold the backpacks, the purses. I'll try to go use the restroom. I'll try to be sick. You know, anything I do to get out of it. But back in the early 2000s at uh, Magic mountain, there was a ride that had just opened up. It was called Goliath. It's not as new now, but I remember when they first built it. I love it when I get to say that because I'm a young guy back when I remember. You know, it just sounds like you're a lot older than you really are. So uh, many of you are like, aren't aren't you like 17? No, I'm 18. Okay, so stop it. Right. And so, um, but I remember going on this ride and a buddy of mine, a roommate, he was like, hey, we're going to go ride Goliath. And I was like, all right, let's, let's do this, okay? And you know, you psych yourself up to go on this ride. And so we're waiting in line. And the longer the line, the more your anxiety and the more it's just tension. You start getting sweaty palms and everything. And your stomach's in knots. And you're just kind of like, what am I doing? You know, I'm just, wow, what am I doing? And then my buddy, his name is Tim. He was like, we need to ride at the front of the ride. And I was like, no, we don't. We really don't. That's reserved for other people. And besides, the line is longer. The Bible says your life is a vapor. We don't have a lot of time. Let's ride the back. Okay. Let's just get this thing over with because I like to ride at the back and watch everybody else die first. That's my thought is like, then I could say, I told you so as we go over. And so, but he was like, no, we're going to ride the front of Goliath. Now, when they had just built Goliath at the top of it, it was 235 feet. And at that time it went 90 miles per hour. A year later, they had somebody die, unfortunately. And so they lowered it to 85 miles per hour. But when I rode, it was still 90 miles per hour. It's pretty fast, pretty big. And he decided, let's get on the front of that ride. And man, it was like, what am I doing? I'm almost hyperventilating. We're going up. And what's the worst sound when you're on a roller coaster? Yeah. Click, 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 click. 
and then everything's okay until it stops clicking. That's when you know it's about to get real. That's when you know this is what am I doing? And this is where now I'm mad at the guy next to me. I literally started punching him. I'm yelling at him. You know, I wasn't speaking cursive, but I was like right there. You know, I was just really frustrated. I was like, I can't believe you talked me into this because now we're in the front. Normally I'm at the back, so I can't see the drop. I just don't want to see the drop. That's really what it is, okay? And so I'm like, I can see everything. You're just kind of hanging over, and you're like, this is how I die. This is how it all ends. And you go screaming down, and such is life, isn't it? People come up to you. How are you doing? Life is good. Click, click, click. How's the marriage? Things are good. Click, click, click. How's the job? It's great. Click, click, click. How is your career? Click, click. Wait, there's no clicks. I said, it's good. What? There's no more clicks. And all of a sudden, man, your life is just screaming down. And then there's twists, there's turns, there's double helix, there's loops, there's all these things where your just life is turned upside down. And such can be life, can't it? Here's the thing. Our soul is the most important part about us. And as one author wrote, he said this. He said, sooner or later, your life will fall apart. And when it does, what will matter is the soul you constructed. Sooner or later, your life will fall apart. And when it does, what will matter is the soul you constructed. Last week, we kicked off with a beautiful old hymn entitled, It Is Well With My Soul. We introduced the character of Horatio Spofford, who in the great Chicago fire lost four of his children. And he crossed the Atlantic to go be with his wife. And he wrote the beautiful hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And how could a man who had just lost an entire fortune, now lost his own children, in that moment say, It is well with my soul. He had constructed a soul. You see, oftentimes, it's the part that is the most central to our core of being that often gets the most neglected. Today, we have a lot of what I like to call cosmetic Christians. And I don't mean to just speak to the female population. What I'm saying is, we only address the surface. We never get below the surface to what really matters. And I think too often, since we don't go deep and really deal with some of the hidden undercurrents in our lives, things begin to bubble up and it creates this anxiety in our life. Many of us probably feel like we've got a bunch of beach balls and we're in a pool and we're trying to keep all these beach balls under the water and you're just constantly this this battle to keep everything under the surface. You're trying to keep things in the marriage under the surface, trying to keep things with the children under the surface, things with a job, things with your own sinful nature are all under the surface and you're going crazy trying to keep everything under the surface. And eventually all comes boiling up to the surface, doesn't it? And now your life is topsy-turvy. It's a wreck. And at that moment, you're experiencing the greatest anxiety you could possibly imagine. And you're saying, what do I do in those moments? This message is simply entitled, The Antidote to Anxiety. Because we're going to face it, aren't we? We're going to face a series of events that we didn't foresee, things that we couldn't plan for. And all of a sudden, it's keeping us awake at night. And all of a sudden, it's ruining our life, so to speak, in that moment. We don't know what to do about it. And so we meet this character, Solomon. Now, Solomon goes on a pretty epic journey, doesn't he? We kind of looked at it in chapter one. He kind of said, I gave my heart to anything it desired. And he literally did. He gave his fortune to possessions. He gave himself to have as many wives and women he's possibly wanted. He gave himself to uh, alcohol. He just gave himself over to these things to f- try and find satisfaction. To try and find something that would kind of curb the hunger, the thirst that was inside of this man. 
And he came and he said this about life. He said, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. He said, I've tried it all, I've done it all, and guess what? It's empty. And for many of us, we're like, well, I would like to try. I'd like to at least to give it a shot. I'd like to have all the money in the world and maybe it would work out differently for me. But we're realizing that that's not how God designed our soul. We said that our soul is the very borrowed breath of God. That man was just a body. It was just skin. It was flesh and it was bone. But it wasn't until that God breathed into man the breath of life that man became a living soul. So we literally are the borrowed breath of God. But here's what happens. We're in a generation that is trying to feed the craving of our soul and we're finding that it's not working. So you're finding that people are jumping from relationship to relationship, career to career. They're jumping from... uh, 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 next hobby to the next hobby. They're jumping all over. Why, what are they really trying to do? They're trying to take care of the soul. We just came through a presidential election. and You probably heard this term like I heard this term. Many of the candidates said, we are fighting for the soul of America. Did you hear that? Did you hear him say it? Okay. A few of you are very uninformed. You don't watch TV. You sit in a monastery and very, or you just don't like to raise your hand. That's what it is. Okay. We'll go with the latter. But you probably heard one or more of the candidates saying something. We're fighting for the soul of our country. What are they actually talking about? Does our, does our country have a soul? What are they talking about? They're talking about the center of its being. If you're a Yankees fan, they said Jer- Derek Jeter at the time was the soul of the Yankees. And so we were talking about that center core of our being. And what often happens is we don't deal with the center of our being. We don't deal with that core part. And what happens is we think if we just ignore our soul, it'll go away. But what actually happens is our soul doesn't just go away. It goes awry. And crazy things happen that we never planned for. We didn't expect. And so Solomon, in his effort to satisfy and to quench and to learn about it, he comes to several conclusions. We're going to dive into it this morning. Notice if you would, chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading verse number 18. Here's what the Bible says. He said, then I hated all my labor, which I had toiled under the sun. What a sad opening, isn't it? He says, I hated everything I was doing. I just came to that point where all of it just disgusted me. Because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I told, in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore, I turned my heart and despaired of all in all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and great evil. For what has man for all his labor and the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful catch this, and his work burdensome. Even in the night, his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. You ever found yourself there? Where even at night, your heart can take no rest? He didn't say his body could take no rest. He said my heart. He took, said that, that central part of my being couldn't find rest. You ever been there? Where you're like, I just desperately want to sleep. I need to rest. But there's so many things that are, that are on your mind and heart, and you just can't find that rest that you need. Because you've got this, what we would call maybe an anxiety attack where you're just filled with this anxiousness. There's this spirit of what's going on, what's happening right now. I I can't control my circumstances. And all of a sudden, we're filled with this anxiety. And there are so many people in an effort to deal with their anxiety are chasing after things. And so we meet this man, Solomon. And he's going to try to deal with anxiety. And how do you deal with anxiety? How do you deal with anxiety when it attacks? You see, oftentimes we, we re- 
1 Peter where the Bible says the devil is a roaring lion that walks about seeking whom he may devour. And we know the devil's out there, but sometimes we forget that there's other attacks that come from other places. Because we know that the devil, you know what, he's got a loud roar, but he doesn't have a long reach. And that would be a good message I could preach sometime. That he's out there roaring, but he can't reach me. But when it comes to this passage, it seems like when it comes to, to, the, to the things around us, we're just trapped by them. So how do we deal with the anxiety? And I think it'll surprise you how we actually deal with anxiety. Because anxiety, to deal with it, the antidote to anxiety is one word. It's the word contentment. You say, what? I I don't get it. I I, I don't get how contentment could be the answer to my anxiety. The Apostle Paul, the great writer of the New Testament, he said this. He said, I've learned, didn't come natural, didn't come free. I had to learn this. I had to apply myself to it. He said, I've learned that whatever, whatever state I am, there I need to be content. Here's a man who's gone through prison and shipwrecked and beatings, and he said, I've had to learn to be content. You see, what happens is we haven't learned this contentment in the midst of all the things that we're trying to cram into our life. And Solomon, he's given himself over to things. So this morning, I want to have a conversation about contentment is what I really want to do. I want to talk about it because we live in a society that is not content. We want more cars, bigger houses, more money in the bank. We want more success, more influence, more, more, more. Everybody's talking about getting bigger, better, faster, skinnier, uh, all these things. We just want these things that are earned. We just want more and we want to consume. And yet we've lost the art of learning how to be content. And so now because of all the things that we have, we have so much anxiety over them. So we have a mini storage unit filled with stuff, but we worry that somebody might break into it. We have a, a garage where we can't park cars and we have all our things in there. And we worry that there might be a fire and all our things will go up in smoke. And so we place our entire existence in these things. And even Solomon said, this is all vanity, it's all empty. And I think it's because many of us are confused about contentment. Because we equate contentment and we think it comes from our circumstances. We think if I have all the right circumstances, if the job's going well, if the relationship's going well, if the money's in the bank, then guess what? I'm content. But that's not where a healthy soul comes from. A healthy soul doesn't come from the fact that everything is working perfectly. Because guess what? How often is your life really working 100% perfectly? Never. Never is anything going all right. You can be at Disneyland with the family on vacation, and guess what? Things are still going to go wrong, aren't they? Just look at all the other parents. Man, sometimes you just step back, and you're just kind of like, yep, yep. And then the guys, we just kind of give each other the look, you know? And, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's, it, it, you just kind of look at the other parent, and you're like, I feel your pain. I know you're suffering, you know? Just don't kill your child at Disneyland. Wait till you get home, okay? It's one of those where you're just thinking, this is supposed to be the happiest place on earth and why are we so mad at each other because contentment doesn't come from circumstances and some of us are working so hard to create the perfect circumstances and we think that's going to equate a healthy soul but here's what the goal of our soul that we established last week that our situation at times may be doing better than our soul but the goal is for our soul to always be doing better than our situation That no matter what state of things are going on, that your soul is still healthy, that things are still happening, that you're not this point where you're so discouraged and downtrodden, depressed, where anxiety is getting to you, that you understand, I've got a soul that can weather this storm. But many times, our soul, we're trying to fill it with the wrong things. 
So can your soul really be happy in a difficult circumstance? And many times people say, well, for my soul to be happy, I have to have a lot of things. And so we looked at Luke chapter number two, or chapter 12, verse 19, where it talks about the parable of the rich man who built barns. And the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Here's what's ironic about that passage. No man can gain the whole world, though many are trying. Many are trying to gain it through business, trying to gain it through money, through influence, through living large. There's all kinds of people that they're trying to gain the whole world, but it's an impossible feat. And some of us, you may not gain the whole world, but you're just trying to gain a part of the world, right? You're like, I just want my part of the world. I just want my career. I just want my relationship. I just want my job. I just want my part. But here's what we forget. We don't get to take our part with us. It's cliche, it's old, but you don't see a hearse followed by a U-Haul. You don't see it. You don't get to take it with you. I've got a cheesy story, and I use it sometimes, about the man who decided he wasn't going to put on his money in the bank. Instead, he decided he was going to keep all his money and take it to heaven. So he got a big suitcase and crammed all of his worldly wealth and jewels and any gold that he had to put in the suitcase. And he told his wife, when I pass, I'm going to... Now on my way up to heaven, I'm going to grab that suitcase and man, I'm going to go up to heaven. So he takes the suitcase filled with all of his money and all of his wealth and he puts it in the attic and then he goes into his room and says, I want to pass at home. And so sure enough, sadly, he passed. And the family, they go up in the attic and they want to find out what happened to that, that, that suitcase filled with money. They go up there and they open the attic and sure enough, what did they see? The suitcase. And that's when the wife said, I knew he should have put it in the basement. Mix things there. Then it's rough. Some of you are like, oh, I just got it. Some of you are on your way home to be like, oh, it's going to take you a little while. But we think, man, we're going to take all this stuff with us, but we're not. And so instead of laying up treasures in heaven, guess what? We're laying up treasures here. Here's what Solomon didn't realize. He was building an earthly kingdom instead of laying up treasures for a heavenly kingdom. He didn't realize that the fact that, guess what? All my wealth can be taken away. Where am I storing up treasures that can never be taken? The Bible says, don't lay up corruptible treasures, but incorruptible, things that can't be taken away. Where are you putting your value, your time, and energy? I meet a lot of Christians, and man, it's a beautiful Sunday morning like we had today. Man, didn't you just wake up, and you were just happy about this morning? I just woke up, and man, before the kids get up, because as soon as my kids get up, they just, they're at it, man. As soon as they get up, I think they have boxing gloves, and they just kind of look at each other, mouth guard goes in, and they're like, yeah, it's time to rumble. That's just the way my kids are. First thing, they're just at each other. They're just yelling and fighting and screaming. And I'm thinking, man, I'm just trying to get right with the Lord. And all of a sudden, I got my little children already pulling me into the flesh, you know? And so I knew before they get up, I just need to have some time with God. And I just walked outside. It was early. And man, 5.30, you look up, sun's kind of coming out. The air was crisp and cool and clean. You just breathe in deep. You're just like, wow, this is awesome. And you just get that moment where it's you and God. All of a sudden, that moment didn't cost me anything. I didn't have to have any illegal drugs for that moment. I didn't have to pay for that moment. It was just that moment where it was like, God, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. 
It's that moment, and that's what God wants for us. God wants us to find that, guess what? Contentment isn't found in my circumstances because you're going to constantly be chasing for the perfect circumstances. Or, to put it more succinctly, you're going to think, well, that wife didn't make me happy, so maybe this one. Or that husband didn't make me happy, so maybe this one. That car didn't make me happy, so maybe this one will. Man, that career didn't, so maybe this one will. Those children didn't, so maybe this one. So we're always chasing instead of understanding that God is saying, hey, why are you giving into this anxiety where you can't sleep instead of learning to be content in the moment? And Solomon, he was filling his heart with all these things, but they weren't bringing him peace. They weren't bringing contentment. Matter of fact, he said, it just made me feel more empty. You see, contentment comes from connection. You see, contentment doesn't come from circumstances. It comes from connection. And I know immediately we're thinking, what are you talking about connection? You see, we all long to belong, don't we? We're created for connection. There's a part of us that wants to get connected. It's like today, man, uh, have you noticed there's been this shift? It used to be that the brands we wore, the tags and all that were more inside the clothing. And now as you go shopping, the brand name is more external than it is internal. You might have had a little logo, but now, man, it's like Tommy Hilfiger. I mean, just whatever brand you wear, our money. It's just really bold. Look at ladies' purses, you know, and they just, they want people to know that, guess what? This is this brand of purse. I want people to know what I, what status. Why is that? Because they want to say, I'm in this tribe. I'm in this circle. We put on these labels. Why? Because we want to be connected with people. It's funny, people buy hats today. This is, this is just crazy. You buy a hat and all of a sudden they leave all the stickers on, all the tags on it. And I'm thinking, Used to be a day where you took all that stuff off. Now it's like, no, you throw away the hat if the stickers aren't on there. They don't want the hat. Or, or now you used to buy a jacket and they used to have these little tags on the sleeve and you used to take those, those little tags off. Now people leave it on. No, I want people to know. This is Sears, baby. That's Sears right there. <laughs> Clearance rack, you know. Coles, yes, man. And so instead of, instead of trying to more label ourselves or find our identity in Jesus, now we're finding our identity in our labels, and guess what? The labels change, don't they? There was a great song that came out by U2 and Bono sang, and he said, I haven't found what I'm looking for. And I think he was actually writing about our culture, wasn't he? Because that's our culture. I'm reading this book about the Bay Area. It's fascinating. It's sad. It really breaks my heart. It's a huge book. One of the biggest books I've ever read. I cheat, though. I say I read. It's actually audible, okay? Audible. I say I read. Sounds really good when you read. Who has time to read? My goodness. And I'm like, with all the traffic, might as well do audible. So this book is 17 hours long. And that's me speeding up. I don't listen at the normal speed. I speed it up. So it sounds like they're talking really fast, and they're going through all the words. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa slow down. But it's just how I get through the books. And this book is intriguing about this area and everything that people would do to fill the desires. We had the summer of love that some of you lived through where America converged on San Francisco. The youth of America left home and came to San Francisco by the hundreds of thousands. You saw the Haight-Ashbury. You saw the hippie movement. You saw all these movements rise up from our area. And what was everybody looking for? They were trying to satisfy something they weren't finding. And they thought, well, maybe I'll find it in the drug culture. Maybe I'll find it in this revolution. Maybe I'll find it in the sexual experience. And instead of understanding that, wait a minute, what I'm looking for is found in Jesus. It's not found in anything else. It's only found in the one who created me, the one who made me. He's the only one that can bring life into me because I am literally the borrowed breath of God. And so the Bible says in this next chapter that he's put eternity into our hearts. There's a part of us, whether you claim the name of Jesus or not, that you're searching for something deeper. And I know many of us, we like to say, no, I, 
I believe those are nice fairy tales. Those are good religious concepts. But here's what you need to understand. Christianity was never meant to be a ritual. It was meant to be a relationship. Nobody here this morning is doing it out of a ritual. This is not something we do because, well, it's my ritual. I've got to come, show up, and man, I'm going to give a little bit. I'm going to serve a little bit. I'm going to eat a donut a little bit. And I'm going back, to go back for a lot of donuts and drink a lot of coffee. And that's my ritual. No, nobody's doing that. We do it out of a relationship because we want a connection. A connection with who? A connection with the divine because there's a part of us that says, I'm missing something. There's a part of us that says, I need something that only God can give me. So I've got to get connected to him. My children, they're still young, but when they were a little bit younger, they would come up to me and they'd walk up and they'd say, Daddy, can I hold you? So cute, right? Daddy, can I hold you? And men be like, yes, please, would you hold me? Oh, I'd love to be held. Man, we're walking through this mall, and I'm tired. Yeah, can you hold me? And they were like, they get real confused. They were like, no, they meant you hold me, but they said it backwards, and I pick them up, and you hold them. And you got that little child, and you're holding them in your arms. What is that little child doing? They relax. They feel content. They feel safe. Why? Because of the connection. See, God wants our souls to rest in him. He wants us to find the life and satisfaction. But here's the problem that Solomon was doing. Solomon was filling his life with things that created a distance between him and God. The Bible says he had how many wives? 700. How many concubines? 300. The Bible says they stole his heart away from God. He was filling his life with things that distanced him between him and God. And we live in that culture, don't we? Where we're filling our lives with things that everybody says, you should have this, you should do this, you should wear this. And we're not realizing that our lives are subtly drifting. We're subtly leaving. There are people this morning, they claim the name of Jesus, but you know where they are this morning? They're in bed watching golf and they're sitting there with their coffee and they think, guess what? This is totally all right. And it's not. They say, well, we name the name of Jesus as they're sipping their coffee in bed instead of understanding that God died on the cross for them and they're missing out on a connection with the divine. And so God wants us to meet with him. He wants us to gather with him because contentment is found in the connection. How is your connection? We long to belong. Are you working towards that connection? Are you working on the relationship? When you were dating or when you're in a relationship, we call it walking together. You say, why would we walk together? Because you long to be together. You want to be close to each other. There's something sweet about just walking with that person, arm in arm or hand in hand, and just whispering sweet nothings to them or just talking to them about life. There's something so awesome about that. And then you think of Genesis where Adam and Eve, the Bible says they got to walk with God. How awesome is that? You ever thought about what kind of footsteps did God have? Because the Bible says the earth is his footstool. So I mean, did he stomp around like a giant or was it soft? I mean, the Bible did say they heard his footsteps coming. So, I mean, I'm just curious. These are the things I think about. Don't look at the Bible like it's boring. Think about the Bible and put yourself in there like, man, would they have heard God coming like a giant or would they hear the the, the crackling as Jesus came and walked with them? They got to walk with God. This is incredible. The Bible says that even uh, Enoch got to walk with God. And the Bible says that Enoch was walking with God and God looked at Enoch and said, hey, my my house is closer than yours, so why don't you just come home with me? Because they were so close in fellowship. They walk together. And here's the amazing thing. God wants to walk with you. We get the same opportunity. But oftentimes, because of the things we've tried to fill ourselves with, to heal the holes in our soul, there's a distance. And so all of a sudden, it gets harder to to do things to work on the relationship. Why? Because we're looking for contentment, but we're not finding it. 
So we keep searching. We still haven't found what we're looking for. But there is something glorious. There's something wonderful about walking in the presence of God. When we say, Lord, I want to seek your face. Psalms 42 is probably one of my favorite psalms. It starts out as the deer longs for the water brook. So my heart longs for you. It's saying that there's this deer that's been running and now is very thirsty. And this deer comes to the water brooks and it just, it just drinks of it. And it's such an awesome psalm. But then three verses later, the Bible says, the psalmist says, Why, oh my soul, are you cast down? And why are you discomforted within me? It's like, wait a minute. It's the roller coaster analogy. He's up here. Man, God, I love you. Things are awesome. It's great. Click, click, click. Man, I love church. Click, click, click. Man, I got so much out of my devotions. Click, click, click. Job loss. What happened? Oh, my soul. Why are you cast down within me? That's verse three. The entire chapter, you got to read it. You want to hear somebody get real with God? Chapter 42 of Psalms. Up and down, up and down, up and down. And such is life. But if we don't have a soul that can handle the downs, then we're going to be attacked by anxiety. We're not going to know how to navigate it because our souls inside of us, we can't take it. And all of a sudden, what do we do? We turn to unhealthy things. We self-medicate. We turn to things that numb us to the pain. We turn to things that put a wider distance between us and God. But we need to understand the stronger the connection, the stronger the contentment will be. But then we see the Solomon, the, we see that Solomon, he says in verse 24, there is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. And he says it and he says there's nothing better, but the reality is there is something better. See, this is the best he can come up with. There's the satisfaction of a hard day's work, but there is something better. There's got to be something better. There's more to life than just that moment. And so the psalmist, his dad knew that there was something more. His dad said, this one thing have I, des- I desired, and that's to know God. That's to seek him. That's to dwell with him. That's, that, that, that was David's singular desire. He said, that's my passion is to know God. And that's got to be our passion. And I know this message. If you're here and you're kind of more of a seeker and you're not really sure of this thing about Christianity, I get it. I'm talking to the Christians here because Christians, we're so tempted, aren't we? We're so tempted to fill our lives with wrong things that contaminate us. I know so many Christians, and I don't mean to, to get on your case a little bit, but I just kind of am. You're so filled with sin, you don't really enjoy God. And you have just enough God, you don't really enjoy sin. You're stuck in this messy middle. It's kind of where you're at. You don't enjoy life at all. Because why? You can't fully give yourself to sin and you can't fully give yourself to God. You're just kind of stuck. And you're like, I hate life. I'm sorry, that's the most depressing Christian to be around. It's the one that's not going to go full out, not going to live passionately for God, but the one that's going to tiptoe around Christianity. The one that's just kind of like, I'll go to church next month and then I'll wait another six months and then then I might go and then, man, if they're doing a good series, I might go for the series or if they've got a Father's Day event, yeah, I like mechanical bulls and I like meat and I like cars, I'll show up to that and everything. And we want you to, that's great. We're excited that you would come, but you're missing out on a connection. You're missing out on something deeper that God has for you and God wants something much better for you. But guess what? Sin isn't just the bad things we do sin is also the good things we don't do and I think that's where the church is y'all aren't robbing banks snorting cocaine shooting up heroin no, murdering people at least most of you aren't some of you we're praying for you God bless you welcome but you know where we lie you know where our problems are our problems is 
the good things we don't do that we know we should do. That's where we land. And we don't really, it doesn't really get to us. It just doesn't. Because our souls aren't at a healthy place, our, con- our consciences are no longer convicted by the Holy Spirit. Because there's been so much of a distance. We've gone so long without God that we're just kind of like, ah, we're numb to everything. And so now the subtle voice of God, the whisper of him speaking to us, doesn't do anything for us anymore. And so God is calling us back. He's calling us back to this contentment. He's calling us back to this connection. But here, Solomon, he's saying, hey, contentment. He's saying, I find my joy in my hard work in this verse. Now, he'll get it right at the end of this book. He'll get it right. But at this passage, he's still stuck, isn't he? And he's stuck where some of us find ourselves. That our significance is found in our performance. This is where I meet a lot of Christians. That my significance is found in my performance. That as long as I perform, ah, then I'm good. But I want you to know your significance is not found in your performance. It's not in what you do. And some, so many of us, we're trying, we're trying to earn God's love. We're trying to earn God's favor. And God says, stop trying. Stop trying to earn this. You have it. My children are not always perfect, but guess what? I still love them perfectly. I do. They still mess up. And guess what? God has some children that mess up too, doesn't he? It's okay to say amen. It's okay. It's okay to agree. God has some children that go astray. It's not our job to look at them and be like, oh, you screwed up, you're out, you're done. No. It's our job to say, let's go. Come on, we're going to go back to church. Come on, let's get back. Today's Life Group Sunday. That's why we're so big on you getting in a community group. Because too many times we get in a community group and guess what? We're hiding stuff under the surface, but in a community group, you actually get to bring it up to the surface. You actually get to deal with it in a group and then you find that there's actual acceptance, there's actual love, and you're blown away by it. And you're never the same. See, the thief on the cross, what got him was the unconditional acceptance of Jesus. That he said, I know I deserve to be here. This man doesn't. And what did Jesus say to him? Thank you. It's about time somebody backed me up. I've had a really rough day. Thank you, sir. That's not what he said. He said, you, sir, today will be with me in paradise. Unconditional acceptance. And the man was forever changed by it. And I believe our church can radically change our neighborhoods and our communities and our regions if we once again say, guess what? We exist not to puff ourselves up and to fill ourselves with knowledge, but we exist for the lost. Our church is to live by faith and to be known by love and be a voice of hope in our city. That's why we exist. We exist not so we have a comfortable little camping ground where we as Christians gather and we sing kumbaya and shake hands and hold hands, but we exist for the lost and the hurting that are outside of these streets. They're the ones that we are working to get here on Father's Day. They're the ones that when we do something, we're trying to go after them. They're the ones that we're praying for, that we're working for, because they're the ones that they don't know that their soul is searching for something and who are we if we do not go out there and tell them then we are failing then we are sinning because there's a good that we should be doing that we're not doing every week in your worship guide you're going to find these little invitations these little guys right here and every week you've got an opportunity to take one and to give it to somebody to take one and to give it and invite somebody to church and maybe they'll come here or maybe they'll go somewhere else or maybe you'll have a conversation with them or maybe they'll tell you that things haven't been going so well or maybe they've been telling they'll tell you they've been thinking about taking their life and it's at that moment you'll be able to offer them some hope it's at that moment where they may have a divine encounter where you forever will help them change the trajectory of their life It's 
not where you browbeat them or you tell them, hey, they don't look good enough to fit in. That's not what we're all about. What we're about is seeing lives change and getting people here because they're looking for something. So it's time, church, where we say, you know what? I'm going to let go of outcomes that are outside of my control. I'm going to start trying to control everything. I'm say, all right, God, my soul needs something that only you can give. And I'm coming to you now. And God, I need you. I need what you offer. It's John 4. It's the woman at the well. Sir, give me this living water that I may thirst no more. What kind of water was she originally looking for? She literally thought there was a water where she would never get dehydrated. But Jesus said, no, the water I've got for you. Once you take this, it'll be like a well spring out of your belly and it'll flow freely to everybody. And immediately the Bible says she dropped her bucket and she went into the town and she told everybody, guess what? There's a man that knows everything that I did. And the town said, I bet there's a man that knows everything you've done. You've been pretty famous in this little community. All right. And so they said, she said, no, no, not about that. Come on. You got to meet this man. And the Bible says there was a great revival in Samaria, the city that the Jewish people thought were dogs and outcasts and half-breeds. They said, come on, they had a great revival in that community. Why? Because Jesus said, I've got something that'll cure that thirst of your soul. And so church, that's where we on Sundays, we come and we say, that's what we want. That's why we bring people, is that we know something that'll be the, the cure for that thirst, that deep longing. Because people don't know that their soul is literally the borrowed breath of God. It's the eternal part about them. Let's all stand as we wrap up our service. everybody standing and we have a moment where we don't just let a message pass us by we want to actually take time to ponder and consider and reflect on what we just heard and so we want to take a moment and 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 allow the holy spirit to do some work here and i know if you're if you're not a christ follower and you haven't named the name of jesus when i talk about the holy spirit it may sound a little bit different but the holy spirit may be working on your heart where you're saying something on my conscience is happening i just feel that god is working and i and i want i need to do something about it and so this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed maybe you're here and you're saying i've been weighed down this week and i've been struggling with something and i feel just like man it's like those beach balls you were talking about just trying to keep them under the surface but it's time to let God just deal with those it's time to say God I'm going to surrender these to you and so with nobody looking and it's just me and you and God would you say I've been trying to fill my life with things and they haven't been quenching the thirst and can I pray for you this week that God would help you to experience him and fill that void and fill that hole is that you would you slip up your hand so I can pray for you I see those hands. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty.